Join us at The Hedge for a conversation about engineering, technology, and business. Well, hello, Yvonne. Now that you're on mute, I'll say hello to you first so that you have to quickly jump over and go off mute. <laughs> oh, no worries. I have, a, I have a very quick mute trigger finger these days. It's, it's fine. <laughs> so what you get for being in sales. And Evan, Evan Knox joins us. Now, Evan's not a techie, so this might be an interesting show, which is cool, actually, here at The Hedge. We don't just do technical stuff, right? So, Evan, talk to us a little bit about where you come from and what you do, and then we'll kick off the conversation. Yeah, awesome. I love the setup. Uh, no techie. I've, I've helped uh, a few projects in like developing apps, but I've not personally been the one doing the quote techie stuff. So yeah, it's probably true. Not the techie guy, but um, I trying to get the crowd. I, it's, it's not me, but um, anyway, so I run a marketing agency in Atlanta called Caffeine Marketing. Um, we help small companies make marketing profitable. Like I said, located in Atlanta, serve companies that are doing less than $25 million a year. Looks like digital marketing. So, you know, websites, social media marketing, paid advertising, you name it. Anything to make the profitable or the marketing profitable for these guys. All right, cool. Where in Atlanta are you? Just curious. Yeah, yeah. In Atlanta, it's in a place called Buckhead, but more specifically okay. uh, called Chastain Park, north inside the perimeter of Atlanta, we would call that. Yeah, right. Cool. Yeah, okay. I grew up in Atlanta, so. Oh, did you really? Atlanta. Yeah, south Where of at? Atlanta. Uh, Morrow. <laughs> okay, nice. Right on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just on the south side of Atlanta, in, in the jet path, so I'm kind of... <laughs> Was that kind inside of, the perimeter or outside? Just barely inside the perimeter. Okay, cool. Right yeah. at, uh, at 7585 and 285 right there on the south side of Atlanta. So it's, okay. it's right there. 10 minutes from the Atlanta airport. So yeah, I grew up eating Chick-fil-A from Truett S. Cathy or S. Truett Cathy himself. Yeah, so, I was about to say, you're right next to the original Chick-fil-A. That's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. so I, I grew up in that area and spent my whole life there. In fact, the town was so small, I shouldn't get off on these stories, but the town was so small that when they needed a new ambulance service because the county dumped the ambulance service and said all the cities had to do it themselves, they okay. put out a bid, an RFP, and the people who won the bid were the funeral home five houses down from me at the corner of my street, they actually took the hearse and put a life-saving device in the back of the hearse that they could no. throw in the back of the hearse. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, insane. So when an ambulance would call, they would actually pop a little magnetic flashy light on top of the hearse throw the life-saving equipment in the back and drive to the scene of the accident. And we always joked, you know, I guess it's okay because if you die at the scene of the accident, you're already covered. Yeah, you're, you're I'm there. I'm just going to point out that Russ started this conversation by saying, I shouldn't tell these little stories. So. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I almost, it makes me think that like, that's what people think when they think of Georgia. Like, you know, especially outside of Atlanta, it's like, oh yeah, that would happen in Georgia. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, maybe not anymore, but back then for sure. Yeah. It's a true story though. Pope Dixon and son. He, <laughs> That was the name That's of the funeral home. It's, it's crazy. Evan, marketing. So let's talk yeah. about marketing and talk about branding. And I mean, I think that maybe what I need to do is go to conferences with big flashy clothes on, bright orange shirts oh, and yellow shirts. And like, what, what is this about? <laughs> yeah, let's start with like a, um, a standard definition of what branding and marketing is. Um, well, let's go with branding first because it's easier. But branding, if we were talking about a company, we'll talk about a person in a company, but let's just start with a company because it's easier. 
Um, if we think of branding for a company, we can define that as how it makes a person feel. So when we're thinking about the logos, the colors, their messaging, all of that stuff, that oh, and uh, customer experience, all of that is part of a um, company's brand. And that ultimately is defined by how it makes the customers feel. So if we flip that on its head and do that for a person, ultimately you can look at a personal brand and go, uh, okay, how does you know, how does that person, what's their personal brand is, or I can look at mine and go, what's my personal brand? How do I make people feel? Or what does it feel like to be on the other side of me? If we look at marketing, marketing can be broken down into four components or really let's just do three to make it really simple. There's brand awareness, conversion, uh, or there's brand awareness, consideration, and then conversion. So brand awareness is very simply when people become aware of your brand, product, or service. Um, consideration is in that phase where they're aware of you, but they're not sure whether or not they want to actually make that purchase or sign that RFP or whatever that may be. Um, and then lastly is conversion. It's that event that we're all looking for is the, you know, that could be a sale, that could be add to cart, sign up for an email series, whatever. So if we do that for a person out there who's in the job world, uh, marketing could be very simply, um, you know, brand awareness. Are you looking for a job? No one will hire you if they're ultimately not aware of you. Consideration, you know, how, what can we, things can we do in order to increase uh, the likelihood that they might actually consider you and then ultimately uh, make it as easy as possible for people to hire you or want to work with you. Okay, cool. So iron shirt, is that the right, or is that the right approach? <laughs> <laughs> Say that one more time. Iron shirt, is that the right approach? <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, that's going to depend on what you, what, what, how you want people to feel, right? Like, do, <laughs> yeah. And, and so, I, you know, and I think, I think a good thing to talk about when we're talking about, especially personal branding, is um, how do we think about authenticity, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and how do you do, how do you manage your presence, whether it's online or in front of people in a way that's authentic, but maybe not overly authentic. So do you, do you have any thoughts about how to approach authenticity when it comes to personal marketing and branding? Yeah, I think from even when I look back early on into my career, the times when I was personally miserable were the times that I was trying to be somebody or something that I was not, you know, I was not leaning into my skill sets. And I was um, trying to be play the role of whatever, you know, somebody wanted me to play. And so I think ultimately, if we're going to be successful as people in the long run, we need to be authentic to who we are uh, as a person. But there is something to be said for a self awareness or an emotional intelligence. Uh, there's this thing out, out there called the Enneagram. It's like a personality type thing. Uh, and I'm considered a, an eight on the Enneagram, which is sometimes like the most intense out of the whole Enneagram. Sometimes eights can be uh, overbearing or, you know, push people around or bossy, whatever that might, that may play out to be. Just because that means that I'm an eight doesn't mean that I get permission to just be rude and hurt people's feelings. You know, like I have to be self-aware of how I'm coming across. And the same goes for someone's uh, social media, you know, like as somebody who hires people like fairly often, uh, I'm looking at, I'm going to look at their social media if they have one, you know, like, and if they look crazy, that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence for me. Like, you know, sharing abundant political views or uh, very controversial topics, not to say that that disqualifies the person, but it definitely raises a, a yellow flag for me. Do you think that it's valuable if you're going to have those types of conversations to have two types of persona? on social media, say, one that shares more of that type of stuff and one that's more calmer, more technology? Or do people see through that pretty quickly? 
It probably depends on the platform. Like I think if we were posting about our kids on LinkedIn, that might feel kind of weird, but on our Instagram, it's kind of expected, you know, like this is a little bit more behind the scenes, what my personal life looks like, but you know, I might be a little bit more careful, you know, like if I'm, if I look at my family Instagram, so our family has a little Instagram or whatever, uh, I might post a picture of us at the beach. You know, I don't have a shirt on, I've got like a little surfboard or whatever, but I'm probably wouldn't do that on my, you know, professional my quote unquote professional brand, personal Instagram, you know, like that is probably not the most professional thing to do. So there's an authenticity and maybe it's like, uh, if I still wanted to share that on my, you know, on my Instagram, my personal Instagram, I could do a picture of my wife and I going out to dinner that night, you know, and, and almost build this, uh, perception or a, at least a filtered view of what my life is actually happening. You know, I don't have to change my life, but maybe what I actually choose to capture in that moment might be different. I think that to some degree, I mean, now I'm a, I'm a big fan of Postman and McLuhan and other folk like that, by the way, just to give you fair warning. And I think that there is something uh, about the resonance of social media and the resonance being performance that when we get on social media, we're kind of expecting others to perform and we're kind of expecting to perform ourselves. Mm -hmm. And there's something about uh, that that kind of breaks away from the authenticity to some degree that makes it difficult to be authentic. Like, do you have any techniques around being authentic on social media? You know, you say, oh, just just only post the professional stuff to some places and other things. But I mean, beyond that, is there some sort of way to be authentic that, that's helpful in some way, like telling horrible stories about when you were growing up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I almost think that like, there's been a lot of uh, podcasts that I've, I've been on where I've shared my story, right? Like at a, at a real high level, like my dad struggled with uh, narcotics at one point, my parents got divorced. Like I won't go all the way into it, but like I may not uh, immediately share that as one of my first things on social media, but in the form of a podcast, that, that story might be more appropriate. But the thing is, we have to remember all of these things are subjective, right? Like what's authentic to me might not be authentic to Russ, you know, or Yvonne. Like it's just, it, each person's a little bit different. So how to be authentic I think really begins with self-awareness. It's asking yourself the question, why am I posting this right now? Am I posting this because I want to share and I want to encourage other people? Um, or am I doing this because I want attention? And maybe on the flip side of that whole argument is I've I heard a lot of people in this you know marketing industry who think, and not aggressively, but they think, you know what? Hey, I think Instagram is a great place to like look your best. Like I think that you should edit your photos and I think you should whiten your teeth um, or whatever. And they, like, they say that and they believe that, which is totally fine they see it more as a creative um, outlet. They think of it as like, I'm gonna express myself, the ideal version of myself on Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever. And that's totally one way to do it. I think ultimately being authentic to who you are is probably more sustainable and just writing about things that, that you care about um, are relevant you, to you. And ultimately that's gonna help you be more active on there instead of just consuming content probably. So let's back up and talk about branding a little bit. I mean, how do you go about, if you were a company, if you were advising a company, how do you yeah. go about trying to help people to, or companies to shape? And then let's try to apply that to people. How do you try to get people to shape what they feel about you? Like other than just yeah. being authentic, is there some specific way that you go about it or a particular thing that you might recommend? Yeah. So I think the key to branding starts with messaging. So my favorite messaging framework is a thing called StoryBrand. It's essentially a seven-part framework that helps clarify a company's message so that you know their customers actually listen. And there will be a test after this podcast that you have to answer this. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm a story brand guide. So if it's a story brand test, I should do. Okay. No, but no, I don't, no, don't I mean for the listener. The listener okay. have to take a test. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Good luck. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. Um, we'll help you out. But story brand is awesome. I mean, really, I, I can't understate it enough. Um, we use it with our clients uh, marketing. And so like we use a seven part framework and it just, it really helps the conversion rates and it really helps all the lead measures leading up to the actual conversion points in the marketing funnel. But let me give you the really high level gist of the story brand framework. Basically you're cut like the, the company is no longer the hero. The customer is the hero. The company plays the role of the guide. And the reason for this is that heroes, each, each person, uh, each one of us wakes up uh, every day thinking that we're the hero of our own story. And so ultimately when brands play the hero in the story, the customers don't, they basically don't connect with them because what they're looking for is a guide. They're looking for Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda um, or Hamish from Hunger Games. And I've just made two Star Wars references before uh, Hunger Games. And uh, they're looking for someone to help them get where they want to go. And so the best branding, in my opinion, starts with messaging. And it starts with the company not playing the hero, but actually playing the guide and realizing that they're there to serve a purpose and to help their customers get the thing that they really want. That's at the, the, you know, a really high level gist. Don't be the hero. You play the guide. Um, and that's really true for companies and their branding. Uh, and then other stuff is like, you really want to paint a picture of success for potential clients or potential customers. Because ultimately, if people don't know what's going to be won or lost based off working with you, they have no reason to do business with you as a, a company. So I would say that, uh, you know, there's always color theory out there and making sure that your logo is up to date and that your website is clean and professional. All of those things should be minimum standards. Um, I think in this day and age, like high resolution photos, et cetera. But your messaging is the thing that's going to set you apart. I think as a job seeker, as somebody who is looking for a job or somebody who's trying to help yourself get along in an industry or in a place, you should be then taking the attitude of, I'm here to help the business. I'm here to help whatever it is. Um, I, I seem to remember somebody talking about this with, uh, with hiring practices in terms of writing pain letters of figuring out where the company hurts and figuring out how you can help that pain so that you can fit in and the company feels like, the hiring company feels like, hey, you know, this is a person who can help me, not a person who's going to walk in and tell me how to work things or how to do things. So that's, that's very interesting. By the way, that is totally contrary to the entire network engineering world. <laughs> really? Is it just talk about how awesome you are? I mean, is that like kind of the gist? <laughs> We do see individuals who are very successful in the networking community and a lot of things that they do, they provide content that's helpful. They provide yeah. information that helps other people grow in their careers. They do training. Rust has done a ton of this, right? He's got his blog and he posts all the time. Um, and, and when they interact and however they interact, whether it's at conferences or on social media, the, the ones that are most successful are out there helping other people be successful. So I see a, a really strong parallel between, you know, what those folks are doing online um, and what you were talking about with companies, right? If you can, if you can find a way to help other people be successful and, and put them first and not yourself first, it's going to have an impact. And then you, you can figure out how you want to do that. But ultimately it makes a lot of sense. It's I was just saying it's, it's the opposite because networking industry, we all tend to think that we have the cape, 
that we're the mm. hero. The network engineer is the hero. So this is very foreign or very contrary to a lot of networking, just the mental attitude of network engineers, uh, just engineers in general, actually. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting because that, how refreshing would it feel, right? If you had somebody on your team and you hired a network engineer or you partnered with one and they were like, hey, I'm here to like serve you for your goals. And like, I bet that would be really refreshing, I'm sure. So that's crazy to me. (laughs) Well, one of the things that stood out to me is even when you were defining um, branding and marketing, you were talking about the the whole point of those endeavors is to consider how it makes other people feel. And a lot of times in technical endeavors, we act like feelings are ancillary or unnecessary and not part of the equation. Now we, we act that way, but, but frankly, that's not true about anybody, but I think it is unpopular (laughs) to, to address that particular arena of thought, you know, stick to the facts, let's stick to the data. We say that all the time, but at, at the end of the day, the way you're going to be successful in any organization is with other people who have feelings, whether they acknowledge them or not. And you need a level of awareness about that ultimately to be successful. I, I mean, I imagine as, you know, this is like transpiring, like let's say you've got somebody and by the way, let me just say empathy is not my gift. Like that did not come to me naturally. <laughs> I'm not a natural, like even at work, you know, I have to be like, oh my God, this person has feelings. Like just back it up, Evan, you know? So I, I'm guilty is all I'm trying to say, but I, I just imagine that you've got this brilliant person. I'm sure the network engineers are super smart. And so you've got this brilliant person on your team and we're talking about a hypothetical Joe out here, but Joe is just mean or just grumpy or, you know, whatever it may be. It's just all about Joe, you know, whatever. And then Joe decides that he doesn't want to work anymore for the company. And so then he has them as a reference and somebody calls and they're like, well, you know, Joe's very capable well, how is he? He's kind of hard to work with. You know, like you don't want that. Like you would never really want someone to be like, I mean, he's kind of a jerk in other words. It is definitely true. So and there's even a whole lot of thought and writing inside of the technical community. No brilliant jerks, right? That the brilliant person that is a jerk that comes in and obliterates your team dynamics doesn't actually add value. Yeah, you know, um, yep. and so that that goes right along with what you're saying. Anyway, yep. sorry, Russ, interrupt. No, it's fine. That's fine. There's there's other stories there about people who have resigned by nailing their resignation letter to their manager's door. That's <laughs> the, these these stories are replete in the technical world. Um, very very capish, you know. Very much we're the heroes. We come in and save things and fix things. I think that's kind of endemic to the engineering perspective, but you're right. I mean, you don't want to be seen out there in the real world that way. You want to be seen as somebody who's there to try to help people, right? Not yeah. just not just help the company, but help the, the community at large. And I think community building plays into this as well. So I think that's all really... Now, on a more practical level, do you suggest people blog, tweet? I mean, do you have any specific suggestions about like, go out there and build a brand? It sounds great. <laughs> Yeah. It ultimately comes down to what's important to you. You know, if you look at, uh, if you want to go, because a lot of people are not, you know, as driven um, as, you know, you might be Russ, like they may not have, whenever they get done with the actual project that they're doing, they may not want to go actually blog, you know, like that might be way too much work for them. For probably 95% of the population who are not looking to be the top 5%, 
you know, just do your job, do a great job, care for people. Um, and honestly, just make sure you fill out your information correctly on your resume and make sure your LinkedIn's like uh, up to date and don't post weird, sketchy things. Like, and you're probably going to be okay. Truth be told, that's, that's probably not. But for those who are like, you know what, I really want to do this well. Like I want to be an influencer. I want to make a difference. Um, or you want to be seen as that, that authority. There's a thousand different ways to do it. And ultimately you have to think what is going to be sustainable for you. So I love writing blogs, um, but it takes me hours. It takes me so long to do it because, you know, honestly, I have, I have so many spelling and grammar errors. I always have to go back and I'm always editing and I hate that. You first have to look at what's sustainable for you. So if you're great at talking to a camera, talk to a camera. You know, if you're great at um, writing, be a writer. Uh, if you look at what's actually going to um, help you, you know, whether that be land a new gig or uh, be to influence community, I, it really depends because the era of becoming like super popular on social media within like a few weeks or months is kind of gone and passed um, or come and gone because it's really hard to get followers on social media these days, uh, no matter how great your content is, because there's just so much content out there. But whatever comes natural, I would encourage you to do that. If you're going to write blogs, that's great, but that's a long-term strategy. So all of this content marketing is a long-term play. So when we work with companies, uh, we often do a lot of paid advertising to begin because that kind of gets the flywheel moving. And then we might do some content marketing in the form of blogging uh, or videos or running their social media for them. But if I was a person, I would be thinking, okay, what's sustainable for me? And then where can I add value? So um, really it, it all depends, but I would say know that whatever you decide to do, it has to be high, high quality. And honestly, it's going to be a long play as far as content goes. It's got to be now consistency. Talk to me about consistency. Is consistency important or is it more like just do it once or twice and I'm done? Or it doesn't yeah. matter how often I do this. I mean, because there's lots of arguments about this in the content creation world. Yeah. I'm thinking, I mean, I, I almost feel like this, there's two sides of this. One, there's a guy who, you know, doesn't look as good as Russ. Um, he doesn't have a beautiful backdrop with it. And I know you can't see it right now, but Russ has this awesome soundboard or, you know, sound phone that just looks way better than mine, if I'm being honest. But anyway, so I say that to like set up that there's people that are not, you know, gifted like Russ here. Um, or Yvonne, and they don't look great on camera, um, or they're not great at talking on camera. Um, and that's not their gift. And they just keep doing it. And if you keep doing it, ultimately, it's like, I'm not sure that that's actually going to make a difference for you. So it's almost like, I want to say like a warning, like, I would just get some feedback from some people, um, have them be really honest with you. Uh, and then let that dictate, you know, where you go forward. But yes, consistency for the people that you think you might getting some, you think you might be getting some traction. Absolutely. Because you never know what's going to be the one uh, video, the one blog post. Like there is a couple blog posts on um, my blog that I honestly, I wrote and then edited and then added more content to. And then one day I looked up and I was like, oh my gosh, 2,200 people have clicked onto that one blog post. Like where did that come from? So you have to keep at it though. And it, uh, there's kind of a compounding effect with um, SEO as far as that goes, but everyone's different. Every platform's different, but ultimately if you can just be consistent over the long term, that's how you're going to be successful. But no particular medium though, right? No particular, just, just whatever you're going to do, do what fits with your life best, what you can sustain, which is an interesting, an interesting perspective, by the way, because I personally, one way that I try to be sustain, try to make things where I can sustain them is by doing a lot of work with tools mm -hmm. and building into the background, right? Like I'm yeah. a very heavy user of Grammarly. 
because even though I've written a lot of books and whatever, I still make grammatical mistakes. I just do. And having somebody look over my shoulder and I can't necessarily afford to pay somebody to edit all my work. Right. But having like even a piece of software like that to look over my shoulder and say, no, 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 fix this. Right. And help me build the better. I think not only does building the tools help it be more sustainable from a perspective of time, it also helps me to be better at creating content so that I don't have as much editing to do over time. So I think tooling is, is really important to me uh, as far as sustainability goes. And people think I'm crazy because I'm out and spend, you know, 200 bucks on a microphone or whatever. But again, it's sustainability, right? It's about yeah. doing something that makes my life a little bit easier so that I'll go I, do it again. Yeah, it's so funny you said that. Um, I think it was, it might've been this morning or yesterday. It's kind of blending together with the whole stay at home and work thing. But I basically had an integration because I've got a few calendars, uh, you know, got my personal, got my work calendar, got another work calendar. It's just like, it gets crazy. So I paid Zapier like 50 bucks per month, which to me, I was like, ah, oh, do I really need this? But basically I needed all of those quote zaps. And if you've never heard of Zapier or Zapier, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. Uh, it's like an API integration so that you can get different apps to talk to one another or platforms. Um, and so I use that. Basically, I paid this 50 bucks a month just so I could have one calendar, update the other calendar and just add it to the other calendar so it can mark my availability. And that was a tool. I'm like, man, is this really, am I going to pay 50 bucks just to like automatically add stuff on a calendar? And you're right. I was like, this is totally worth it. I got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Because how much time is it saving you copy and pasting? Oh, probably a ton. Probably yeah. an hour a month. Exactly. You know? and, well, so and, and making being everywhere you need to be when you need to be there. And, and yeah. that yeah. that's really the value of that, right? The, even more than just the administrative headache, it's making sure it's right and avoiding the administrative headache. Like that's a win, 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 win. Yeah, the peace yeah. of mind for sure. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Going back to branding just a little bit and and marketing and stuff. So any other suggestions for like a network engineer, the average network engineer? Now you say that if you're just going to do your job and you don't want to be influencer, you don't really need to do anything. So I sometimes think that it's actually important to have at least some public body of work that people can point to Hmm. and say, I do this. And so for me, when I blog, I don't just blog because I expect readership, which honestly, I don't get that high of a readership, but it's okay. It doesn't matter because it's also a public body of work. Coders have GitHub. They can go Mm -hmm. throw stuff on GitHub. Designers have websites they've designed. Network engineers, you got nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Your your work product, there's nothing, there's nothing public. If you're not writing or talking about or educating, there's, there's no way to publicly demonstrate competence, right? Which is really what you're talking about in a, in a technical world. Yeah. Is a way to publicly demonstrate competence. So do you think there's value in that, Evan, or do you think that's kind of like, no, I think you're right. Um, you know, understanding that I think is super helpful. So like, if you think of it, I, so if we look back to the story brand framework that I mentioned earlier, there's a part in the framework where, you know, the hero is the, is the customer or the, you know, the person who you're who might be hiring or whatever that is. And then they encounter a problem and you are the guide to help them overcome the problem. But in the process of positioning yourself as the guide, you want to establish authority. And so you position yourself as the guide by doing two things, Uh, expressing empathy. Hey, I get it. What you're going through is hard right now. Um, I understand. I've been there before. That's a great way to express empathy and position yourself as the guide. And the second one is authority. Being, you know, a knowing, being able to express that you're a competent network engineer, if that looks like some sort of outward publication because the um, stuff that you do is not always accessible to the public, um, then yeah, it might look like 
you know, establishing yourself as a brand. And it might be easier, you know, the more that you do that, it's probably gonna be easier to get the job or role or gig that you want. So yeah, it makes sense. Tell us a little bit about this book that you're, that you're, that you've written and where people can get it. (laughs) Well, it's a, it's a course. Maybe it turns into a book one day. Uh, Oh, it's a course. Yeah. yeah. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. You can go to Evan Knox, E-V-A-N-K-N-O-X.com. It's, it's on there. Uh, It's basically, it's the exact blueprint that I've run for my company to double bottom line revenue every year for the last three years in a row. Uh, it's the same thing that me and my partners are using on these companies that we're acquiring. And so it's really exciting. I'm really happy to give it. Um, it's kind of like the 2.0 of my dream to help other entrepreneurs and business owners like my dad and grandfather, because they're both, you know, my dad's no longer here and then my grandfather's no longer in business. So it's, it's my way to kind of give back. There's that. And uh, that, might be, that might not be applicable to most people, but if there's any other way that I can help them um, or connect with them and support them in any way, I'm more than happy to. You just go to evanox.com or okay. caffeine.marketing. And you blog on caffeine marketing, right? Yeah, or I blog on, on both. Probably the most resources are on the caffeine marketing one because my team has done some of those and, and some of them are just better than the ones that I've done personally. Um, my personal blog, I'm thinking it's probably, I got to kind of find the niche for how it's different than the caffeine one. But I'm probably just going to stick with like basic like leadership ramblings or book notes. Like I just, in my readings books, I just love taking highlights and my thoughts about them. So yeah, but that's that's still important. Leadership is important. Leadership's a big deal in our in our world of network engineering. It might not seem like it because we're all supposedly individual contributors. Although Yvonne <laughs> may have something to say about that, but I mean, we all tend to be just. But oh, we're still leading you know, people. Me, I, I believe that yeah, you you lead whether you have leader in your title or not. I that's mean, you right. Have the ability to lead yeah. and influence people. So um, right. we should all think about it. That even way. even as a sales engineer. <laughs> Even as, yes, yes. Have to give Yvonne a hard time a little bit. <laughs> well, I think it's like fine, in sales, in sales, I think is a great form of leadership. It's not always considered that, but if you really do see your product um, or what you offer as a solution to somebody's problem, like we were talking earlier, and your job is to help them overcome whatever hurdles that they have in order to get the solution to their problem, I think that you're, you're influencing people. You're influencing them to hopefully help them. If you have a bad yep. product, that kind of sucks. But if you have a great product, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So Yvonne, where can people get in touch with you still? Yeah, on Twitter. The best place is on Twitter at Sharp Network. Um, and also always on LinkedIn, you can find me. So Yvonne okay. Sharp. So. And we try to get her on the hedge as often as we can. Trust me. Whenever the schedules of makes it work. <laughs> And I'm Russ White. You can find me at rule11.tech. And thanks for joining us for this episode of The Hedge. Thanks so much for Evan for coming on and talking about this. This is really interesting stuff and stuff I think network engineers need to know. Cool. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. You can find The Hedge at rule11.tech.